0: Good morning, man. I like the singing this morning. Sounds good in here. Before we uh, get into this morning's lesson, I want us to also keep in mind all of our uh, family members here at Lincoln Park. We have many families that are traveling this holiday weekend, so let's remember them in our in our prayers in the coming days for safe travels to and from their locations, and that they can have a blessed and safe time. You know, as we get into today's lesson, and I did the the lesson for Bible study this morning on purgatory and and to to look at refuting that false doctrine, uh, I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on this week. And I know, I think a couple years ago, I did a probably eight-week series of sermons on the life of Christ. And now we're going to get into a series of sermons that's a little bit different uh, in regards to Christ. We're not going to look at the the life and the ministry of Christ or the teachings, but we're going to look at Christ himself and who he was and through the sense of his pre-fleshly state, his fleshly state, and his glorified state. And so we're going to have over these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at Christ through a different lens, so to speak, because we need to be so knowledgeable on the Son of God. And why do we call him the Son of God? You guys remember when Jesus went to be baptized by John the baptizer? He saw where he was baptizing, and he says, I have need to be baptized by you. And he says, Lord, you come to me. I have need to be baptized by you. But just let it, let it be at this time. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. What happened when Jesus came up out of the water? Do you remember? Wasn't the Holy Spirit descending upon him? Didn't the clouds uh, apart? And wasn't there a voice that came from heaven and said, "This is my, this is my son? In whom I am well pleased, right? We know that the scriptures talk about the Son of God, but how often, I I am shocked really, how often people, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, but they identify with some form of Christianity, really don't know all that much about the pre-fleshly state of Christ. And the the glorified state of Christ. And so that's where I want us to kind of dive into scriptures. And so we're going to look and we're going to start here with the deity of Christ. And we're going to look to see what the scriptures have to say about his deity, about his pre-fleshly state, about his fleshly state. We're going to talk about these things here this morning and we'll start to expound upon them in the coming weeks. As we look at this information here this morning, we know that just over 2,000 years ago, in Matthew chapter 2, we learned that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Amen? He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and there's a reason why it's 2022 A.D. Anno Domini, which stands for in the year of the Lord. We are 2,022 years away from something that had happened in history, and that something that happened in history was the birth of the Son of God. And so we look at the scriptures here this morning. Ask yourself, was, was, that, was that the beginning, his birth? Was that the beginning of his existence as a being? And then ask yourself, when you think of that, why does that question even matter? Well, it matters because if that was the beginning of his existence, then he was just a mere man. And he was no different than any other mere man. But that's not really what the scriptures teach, is it? We know that the Bible portrays Jesus as deity. The Bible portrays Jesus as God and as equal with the Father. How do I know that? Well, I'll give you the proof text here this morning. I look at the first passage of Scripture here this morning on the screen behind me, and you'll see that in John chapter 10 and verse 30, what what does it say here? I and the Father are one. What is that passage of Scripture simply telling us? Jesus is saying that He and the Father are equal. And we're gonna look at this in the eyes of scripture so we don't say that's the, that's the, the minister, the evangelist's opinion. We're gonna show you in scripture what the Holy Spirit had guided those first century writers pen in regards to Jesus Christ. You know, we know that in Matthew chapter 21, or Matthew chapter 20, it talks about Jesus' birth and how he was born of a miraculous nature. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God that we learn about in Matthew chapter 1. We understand that he was born of a virgin, how that was prophesied, and it was fulfilled also in Matthew chapter 1. And brethren, Jesus not only claimed to be God, but was condemned by the religious leaders for even making that claim, because they understood Understood what he was saying. You look at John chapter 5 and verse 16 through 18 on the screen behind me. Even the religious leaders of the Jews understood exactly what Jesus was saying and who he was saying he was equal to. In John chapter 5, starting in verse 16, the scriptures tell us: for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And these things were in reference to his healings, his the good works, the miracles that he was doing. But it says in verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And in verse 18, it says, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They wanted to kill him for breaking the Sabbath, and to use that as an excuse, but now he's making himself equal with God. Because he is not only breaking the Sabbath, it says, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal toward God. And so, brethren, Jesus used these types of expressions to identify himself as being equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I know we look at another passage of scripture on the screen behind me in Matthew chapter 28, and this is a passage of scripture that we look at all the time. And it says, And Jesus came up to them and spoke this All authority had been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. (laughs) Brethren, in light of our study here this morning, as you look at these couple verses here, this is such an important text, because Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of. Well, if you do any type of study of scripture, in the name of means in the authority of. And so you're baptized in the authority Of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying that authority among the three makes the three equal because they're all God and yet with different personalities and different divine natures. We understand that there's another passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 13 and 14, it says that the grace of all, the the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Why is that simple verse important? Because it shows you that it's mentioning the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, all giving grace, all uh, you know, giving a blessing, giving a welcome, if you will. And we're seeing the, the equalness of them. I want to kind of start with an illustration here. There's so many people who don't understand the Godhead. Well, let me try to kind of put it into some perspective. When you think of time, is time not made, of, is time not made up of past, present, and future? Right? It takes all three to make up time, and without any one, there's no time, and yet each one is time. Does that make sense? What about space? Is space not defined by length and height and depth? It takes all three to make up space, and without any one, there's no space, and yet all three are space. What about man? Is man not made up of body, soul, and spirit? It takes all three to make up man, and without any one, there's not man, and yet all three are man. And so, what is the point? The point is that in a similar sense, God, deity, that's all God means is deity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it takes all three to make up God, and yet each one is God. You see, there's a way to look at it, brethren, and never forget that the Lord our God is one. And if Jesus is deity, then his fleshly birth would indicate that God had come down in human form and lived amongst mankind. And as we look at this this here this morning, which is the very thing, uh, that was the very thing that the prophets had foretold. That God was going to come down. Uh, Be amongst his creation, take on flesh, live a perfect life, and give his life up as a testimony, as a sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice offered once for for the forgiveness of sin of all mankind for all time. And the biggest problem that the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day had with, this, uh, had with accepting Jesus as God was that when they, when they read the Old Testament, they see the oneness of God, and they had trouble separating the, the idea of oneness with the idea that Jesus, too, could be God. And so they struggled with that. But the thought here this morning is that, that Jesus is not only God, But the scriptures, if the Jews would have looked at it a little bit more closely, they would have realized there's some proof text in the Old Testament that's proved this. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. If you open your Bibles, I don't have this on the screen behind me. But in Genesis chapter 1, let's go back there real quickly and let's look at that because it's such an important actual verse, right? When you look at Genesis chapter 1 and you get to verse 26, notice what it says. It says, then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the uh, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over everything, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." You look at that simple passage, and so many times, I'm sure many of us have read that. But I wonder how early in your faith you read that and you just gloss over the importance of that text, because in Genesis one and twenty-six it uses the plural the plural pronouns us and we, which indicates a plurality in some sense. Amen. And then you look at another example of oneness in the idea of Genesis chapter two and verse twenty-four in regards to Adam and Eve. Where Adam and Eve, when Adam had left his mother and father, was joined to his wife, there's they're, they're two separate individuals, and yet they became one flesh, right? So there's a sense that oneness carries with it uh, the concept of unity, the concept of harmony. And absolutely, the scriptures show that there is harmony when we deal with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as being unified. Yeah. So, brethren, we use such terms to even describe this in the church, There's the Trinity, there's the triune God, and there's the triunity. These are different terms that the Christian church uses to speak about the Godhead. And so consider for a moment man. I mentioned a a, a minute ago that man is made up of body, soul, and spirit, but where does that come from? Well, It comes from the scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5 and verse 23, the scriptures tell us Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, without any one, there's no man, and yet all three are man. And so we understand that God is made up, or man is made up, of spirit, of body, and of soul. In like manner, God, deity, is made up of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so, brethren, let's start to now transition for a moment. Because I said that we're going to look at the the pre-existence of Christ. uh, We're going to look at his fleshly state. And we're going to look at his glorified state. And as we get into the pre-existence of Jesus, the Bible's crystal clear who Jesus was. But I'm surprised too often as I talk to people who identify with Christianity who have no idea about these verses being in the Bible. And then we look at the very first one, and it's in John chapter 1 and verse 1 through 3. Brethren, the very fact that Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father, like we looked at in John chapter 10 and verse 30 earlier, would obviously suggest to us that Jesus had a pre-fleshly existence. And we begin to learn about it in John chapter 1 and verse 1 through 3. The Bible records that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing had come into being that has come into being. And then you you go forward to verse 14 of chapter 1, and it says, And the Word became flesh. And the Word had dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is the point of John chapter 1, 1 through 3? That Jesus was the Word. And we know that the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that we were able to see His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. And then later in the Gospel of John, Jesus uttered these words in John chapter 16 and verse 28. He says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And I am leaving the world and again going to the Father. Brethren, when you look at these passages of Scripture, you think that it would be simple to understand, but there are so many people who still don't understand the pre-existence or the pre-fleshly state of Jesus Christ. They say, no, he's not God, he's the Son of God, and they don't make the distinction between the two being one and the same. Because Jesus is the Son of God. God himself said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He said it it on the Mount of Transfiguration. He said it on the day of his baptism. So we know he's his Son. We know he's the Messiah. We know he's the Christ. We know he's the Savior. And so, brethren, the reality is, before the world and mankind were created, Jesus existed as the Word. And so Jesus clearly laid claim to this concept. And this next passage of scripture gives a proof text to his claim of this concept. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, what does Jesus say? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Why is that uh, a text, why is that passage of scripture important? Because Abraham lived and died 2,000 years before Jesus was ever born in his fleshly state. Before Abraham was, I am. And so the Jews of old would have understood perfectly the I am phrase. And so, brethren, this is an important statement, and it's something that we need to keep in, in, in mind as we think about what the scriptures say. But what about Old Testament scripture? We know that there's over 60 major prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in, in exacting detail, but even the Old Testament prophecies spoke of Jesus' pre-existence, his pre-fleshly state. And you look at the first one that it was, our, it was our, our Bible reading passage this morning or, or our scripture reading this morning, And it says, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are what? From long ago, from the days of eternity. What did Isaiah have to say? In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the prophet Isaiah said, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These passages of scripture are talking about the coming Messiah. There's not a historian, there's not a Bible commentary that you can read that will show you something different. These verses are talking about Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. So now let's turn our attention now to how Jesus revealed that revealed that the nature of the Father uh, to mankind. So Jesus, by coming in the form of God, taking on flesh like we learn about in John chapter 1, we understand that he came to reveal the exact nature of God to his creation. And so not only does the Bible claim divinity for Jesus, but it states that Jesus was the perfect revelation of God the Father and and of... Let me repeat that. He, it states that Jesus was the perfect revelation of God the Father to mankind. And you can look at that verse later in John chapter 1 and verse 18. And why, would, why wouldn't Jesus be the perfect revelation of God? The perfect representation of God? The perfect opportunity to reveal God? Since he had been with God for all eternity. Because Jesus is, in the flesh, God. Brother, remember that Jesus had come forth from the Father. We said that already in John 16 and 28. But I also want you to think about what Jesus had to even say to Philip. Remember when Jesus was talking to Philip in John chapter 14 and verse 9, and Jesus uttered these words? When you go to John chapter 14 and verse 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you now say, Show me the Father? Brethren, when you look at these scriptures, can you see for yourselves the, the, the scriptures clearly show Jesus is not just the Son of God, but Jesus is God. Yeah. And this is, the, this is so very important because Jesus came to show the world, show mankind what the, the, the exact representation and to reveal to mankind the invisible God. Mm-hmm. Jesus became the visible God Uh, to show us the invisible God, who that we we in our fleshly state cannot look upon the glory and the majesty of God without suffering death. So Jesus had put aside in Philippians chapter 2, it tells us, the glory, the majesty that he had with God before the foundations of the world, and he took on flesh. He became like us. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet without sin. And so, brethren, when we see the Father, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. That's what Jesus was telling Philip in that passage. Jesus was truly God in the flesh. Lastly, before we get ready to close this lesson down, and we'll continue this over the next couple weeks, I want us to look at the idea that I've mentioned in Bible study this morning, that Jesus is the creator of all things. People oftentimes, they just think, without even really thinking of it, they just read in the beginning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created. And almost everybody will attribute that to the Father. And yet, that is not the case, according to the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. And so when you look at this, while creation of all things are attributed to God, it's more specifically attributed to God, the Son. And I know this because notice what the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write to the people of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, where thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and all things hold together. I also want you to consider the next passage of scripture that the Hebrew writer had to say. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 1 through 3, before we close this lesson down, Brethren, it tells us here in the scriptures that God, after he hath spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appoints an heir of all all things, through whom also he made the world. He has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he has made the world. And his radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purifications of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Brethren, these passages are talking about Jesus. There is no doubt in any commentator's mind, on anybody, any historian's mind, that Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, John chapter 1 are all talking about Jesus. And these are just a few of the examples that can be given that talks about Jesus, the creator, and not Jesus, the son. And so, brethren, as I close this down, remember the very fact that Jesus was the creator implies that not only, it implies not only his pre-fleshly state, but it, it, but it implies that Jesus is deity. That's why I read to you Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when, Jesus, when God said, let us make man in our image. Oh, you are. And that is the, the, the present, uh, or it's the pronoun it's, uh, in the plural form. And so you look at that, and you go back to Genesis chapter 1, we know that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the water. We know that in verse 26 it talked about, let us make a man in our, our own image. Who was the one that it said did the creating? Jesus. And so Jesus, as knowing as the word, according to John chapter 1, was there. God was the architect. Jesus was like the builder. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gave order to everything. And we see how the Godhead, the triune God, had, give, was all there and representative in Genesis chapter 1. Yes. Brethren, the scriptures are crystal clear. Today's lesson on the life of Christ was to show that Jesus was more than just a prophet. He was more than just a priest. He was more than just a king. Jesus is God, yes. meaning deity. And as Jesus is equal uh, in divine nature to both the Father and the Holy Spirit. And remember that they are separate in function. They are separate in personality. But they are equal in divine nature. Brethren, we're going to continue this lesson as we go through the coming weeks. To take a deeper look at Jesus. Who he was and what the Bible teaches about his pre-existent state his fleshly state, and his glorified state. Because we need to have so much information about the Son of God that we're like Jeremiah and that we're weary of holding it in unless we burst, right? And that I just can't hold it in anymore. We need to share this information with the world. Because if we love them, we don't want any soul to be lost. God doesn't want any soul to be lost. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything to seek and save those that are lost. And we do so by fulfilling the great commission to go and to take the message out into our communities, to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and talk to them about faith. Talk to them. Show them by not just talking, but living out your faith. And if you do so, brethren, there are going to be some who are going to want to know more about your Jesus. And you'll have that opportunity to teach them about the love of God through Christ Jesus. If there's anybody here today and you're struggling in your faith and you need the prayers of the congregation or maybe there's a storm that you're going through right now, let us know what it is. Let us know how we can pray for you. The elders could come up. They could pray with you. And they could help you to to put a plan in place and, and help you in any way that we can. But maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God yet. Maybe you desire to put on Christ in baptism because we know that the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 that baptism now saves you. And so maybe you want to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you want your sins washed away because we know that we received the gift of the Holy Spirit and God himself adds you to the kingdom. If that is your desire, come forward as we stand and sing the Song of invitation.